This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. As part of the national commitment to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions as early as 2050, the Malaysian government has pledged to increase the installed renewable energy capacity to 70% within 30 years. We're starting from a base of 25% RE capacity. What's the pathway then from point A to B? Joining me to discuss this to mark the International Day of Clean Energy is Dana Raj Markandu, Senior Analyst with the Institute for Strategic and International Studies, or ISIS Malaysia, and Davis Chong, President of the Malaysian Photovoltaic Association. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having us. Hey, good morning, Sanjana. So, Dada, I want to start with you. The National Energy Transition Roadmap, or NETR, that was launched last year was arguably the centerpiece in a raft of policies launched by the Madani government. How does this blueprint set the tone for the country's direction of travel in changing the energy mix? Right. I think as we are well aware, the NETR was launched with a lot of um, attention, a lot of fanfare to it. Um, You know, we had two parts end of July uh, at a Busan Malaysia event where all the flagship initiatives were announced. And then we had the full announcement of the NETR at a TNBA conference. Um, So I, I think we have to give credit where it's due. It's not a perfect document, but it's certainly an, an ambitious one, you know, because, uh, you know, it cuts across six technology levels, you know, uh, energy efficiency, renewable energy, hydrogen, bioenergy, uh, mobility, carbon capture, utilization and storage, and five cost-cutting enablers, you know, finance, policy, human capital, technology and uh, governance. So when the NETR came out, there's just so much into it that just to understand what's in it, I, I really had to extract all the action items and things. And what it boils down to is you have about 70 actionable line items in there. And these are spread across almost 30 named champions, ministries, uh, GLCs, government agencies, regulators. Mm. So it's generated a lot of buzz, not just within the energy space. Previously, when we used to have energy-related announcements, people within the energy sector get very excited. But it doesn't really filter as much to the wider community. But in this case, you know, business, investment communities, civil society, everybody was getting excited about it. Um, I think it established itself as a common point of reference that um, anyone with an interest in the energy sector, regardless of which angle you're approaching it from, it was it was that common point of reference. And it kind of allowed us to showcase at COP28 as well you know, our commitments towards moving away from fossil fuels. Um, having said that, what has come after the launch maybe has been a bit of a mixed bag. And, you know, may- maybe you can go a bit more into that after this. I want to get Davis's point of view as well. How has the industry reacted to NETR, especially coming from the perspective of the solar players that have so far operated within a rather limited space? Yeah. Did the plan provide sufficient clarity in terms of what to expect for the industry? I think industry players like us, uh, we've been to get uh, in the solar industry for the past 10, 11 years, since the FIT time. And that is the message that we start to actually uh, bringing up to the authority and ministry that we need to scale up the, the, the game of uh, solar industry or high industry in Malaysia. You know, in the past that we have very small capacity of FIT uh, being done and in the FIT time, and then we move to rooftop with NETM for uh, NEM 
for residentials and industrial, and it's still a, a small scale solar uh, compared to globally. Mm. And then we moved to LSS, which is which is utility scale. Then uh, I think that actually built a lot of bigger solar company domestically. So this is good, but we only have uh, 500 megawatt every time that we allocate the quota, and it's still quota based. And ultimately, the industrial player we want to liberalize the energy market, clean energy market. That's what we are moving to, and uh, to have NETR is totally a different ball game, uh, opening up the window to let more bigger capacity. I think we're talking about gigawatt capacity in NTR. So this is really a new, uh, the bigger scale of utility and also uh, distribution generation, uh, distributed generations capacity that we can build more into the grid. And even we're talking about microgrid in the future as well. So this is uh, what we expect, we're expecting and mm. it's good to have NTR. Um, you know, uh, with the new government on board. Uh, but after that, uh, we would really want to see what is the execution, what is the mechanism that it can be executed efficiently and it really practical uh, to our energy market, uh, energy transitions. Mm. Execution, as you said, Davis, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And so the proof of the NETR is going to be in the implementation. And it was launched in August by the Prime Minister. Everyone was under the understanding that it's the Ministry of Economy and also the Ministry of Natural Resources, Environment and Climate Change that would be spearheading that charge. Uh, But in December, we did see a new ministry set up specifically for energy and public utilities helmed by the Deputy Prime Minister, Datuk Sri Fadila. Yusuf. Dana, does the split make sense to you? Um, I think even before we talk about the split, it's probably worth um, looking into perhaps the mindset of people from the outside, looking at what's been going on, because the NETL was always presented as a collaborative effort between the Ministry of Economy and uh, NREC, Mm -hmm. uh, Ministry of Natural Resources, uh, Environment, Climate Change. And this kind of mirrors the previous setup where we used to have the economic planning unit under the Prime Minister's uh, office that would lead the policy development side of energy and the Ministry of Energy, whatever iteration it was under, is there's been several name changes across the years. These The ministry would be focused more on the implementation side of it. So this wasn't so much of an issue previously. There was clearly a ministry with the name energy in the title. Um, but prior to the recent cabinet reshuffles, in my conversations with some stakeholders who are perhaps not as familiar with this setup, um, there was probably a little bit of confusion where it sits because it looks like two people are leading it and then um, Ministry of Economy seems to be the elder brother in that arrangement but Mm. all the relevant regulators and agencies are parked under NRAC. So um, having this new Ministry of Energy Transition clears up that, um, I guess, upfront ambiguity that was somewhere there before. Um, But there's a lot of realignment needed behind the scenes uh, you know, where different agencies are parked under, who's responsible for what. Um, because in the NETR, it's clearly stated that the Ministry of Economy spearheads the National Committee on Energy Transition, which is supposed to be parked under the National Energy Council, chaired by the Prime Minister. So um, I, can, I, think, I guess we need a bit more clarity on what happens to this arrangement now that the Minister holding the energy portfolio is also the Deputy Prime Minister, under the NETR, NREC itself had the joint highest number of initiatives allocated to it, 12, um, uh, tied with the Energy Commission. So do all of this get transferred under the new uh, ministry? 
in some cases, it's quite clear-cut when it comes to energy efficiency, renewable energy. Uh, some of these would make sense to, you know, I guess, automatically be transferred. But there are also initiatives related to, for example, carbon pricing. Who does that fall under? Because there's both an emissions context to it and a carbon sink context to it. Um, so just earlier this week, I think we, we've had some announcements on um, senior administrative appointments to the new ministry. So I think the setup is in place now to actually move forward and, and help give us a bit more clarity on how this new arrangement will align with the intentions of the NETR. Davis, from the industry side, has there been any engagement between industry stakeholders and the new government setup in terms of how the changes or how the different uh, communication channels uh, are under this new ministry? I think if I speak back uh, to the 10 years experience in this industry that uh, Malaysia has never been weak in the policy making. We're good in that. Uh, and it has been showing a very systematic planning on the policy making from FIT time to LSS and then CGPP and now NATR. So we're good in that. If you're talking about industry engagement, I think industry engagement and the planning involvement with the industry stakeholders has been better than last time. But it could be better. Mm. It could be better. Uh, we have many uh, industry engagement with uh, ministry through MPIA platform. And also we have attended the Energy Commission's uh, town hall uh, on updating the status of NTR and other programs in, in Malaysia as well. Recently, uh, just, just I think just the past one, two months. So, uh, but to comment on that, I think we can actually have more uh, dialogue and more uh, discussions that being taken into consideration from government's uh, ministry to make policy making a lot of things that uh, in fact we know after the fact and and we hope that we can involve in the early stage of the planning brainstorming and then give up our industry ideas and what is practically happening in the industry what are the real pain points of the industry mm -hmm. from developers, investors to contractors to equipment suppliers that they should take into consideration and then share with us what, what is the direction, government and ministry direction on, on this energy transitions. Okay, so how would you like to see the different entities work together? What do you think in terms of coordination between all the various entities involved in the energy sector? What would you want to see improved? The governance, I think, has to be very clear because, uh, as you said, there's been a bit of a, I guess, I wouldn't say pause, but there's been a bit of a slowdown because of the cabinet reshuffle. Uh, because the NETR was not just NREC, not just the Ministry of Economy, but it's spread across almost 30 different entities. So I'm pretty sure that on the ground, um, initiatives would have been progressing anyway. Mm. Um, a lot of work has been going forward, but like I said, just having um, a very clear chain of command, a very clear governance at the very top would sort of galvanize the momentum again. I think what, what we basically need is very clear direction on who's handling what. Um, and just going back to some of the conversations that were being spoken about when NETR first came out, I think the minister spoke about adopting sort of a project management approach to it. But, you know, it's been months since then and we still haven't seen much in terms of timelines, uh, in terms of concrete implementation goals. Um, we, we have had a, a string of announcements in terms of uh, some of the projects and things like that, but um, because it's so widespread, picking up on the pieces of information is very difficult. You mm. know, it's, it's, so, in fact, one of the uh, initiatives in the NETR talks about 
having um, some sort of knowledge hub on the energy transition so that it's a, a one-stop center, uh, so to speak, where people can just go and see what's the progress. So things like that are not there yet. So uh, I think if it's there, it will definitely help us gauge how progress is being made with all the, the, the initiatives. And, you know, as Davis mentioned, we're, we're good at coming up with the plans and policies. Mm. So that was 2023. 2024 really has to be ticking items off the checklist and demonstrating that we're making progress. I'm speaking to Dana Raj Markandu of ISIS Malaysia and Davis Chong, president of the Malaysian Photovoltaic Association. We'll have more from this conversation after the break. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me on the show today is Dana Raj Markandu, Senior Analyst with the Institute for Strategic and International Studies and Davis Chong, President of the Malaysian Photovoltaic Association. We are discussing the trajectory of Malaysia's energy transition in light of the International Day for Clean Energy, which is today. So earlier we were discussing about how the National Energy Transition Roadmap sets out the direction of travel, puts all the players on the same page, but the path there, the actual undertaking of it is not entirely clear and it's going to be less than smooth. Davis, do you think that the challenges to increase RE, is it coming more out of the demand or the supply side? How do you see that mix and where the government needs to be prioritizing its efforts? Let's talk about the industry and the whole ecosystem itself. We never short of demands uh, from RE mm. and we never short of investors. We, we only slow down due to the intermediate. So the end-to-end side is is full with uh, excitement and demands. Mm. And uh, I was I was just uh, plot out uh, one of the industry park in the Malaysia that we are working out is already have about one gigawatt of demand uh, over the next five years. That kind of capacity that we're talking about. And we went talk with, we talked with energy investor funds. They want to deploy billions to Malaysia uh, if we have energy uh, project, clean energy projects. Mm. So those kind of uh, excitement in the marketplace is really want to grow our clean energy market in Malaysia. So uh, what are the, what are the bottlenecks? Want, yeah, what are the bottlenecks? I, we can talk half day for this, but I just <laughs> want to bring out the most important points throughout different sectors. Okay, first we look at residential sectors. What are the bottlenecks? We always ask for more NEM quota and in a developer model. So we've been waiting for a developer model so we can implement solar ready home, 100 houses, 200 houses in one shot. That will really go residential solar capacity. So just to clarify, that means these new developments incorporate solar from the get-go. Yeah. Okay. So we want that to happen so you can really see more houses with solar panels. So what's stopping that? We don't have a policy, developer model policy, that to install uh, NEM solar panels onto the rooftop. Uh, now you need to have homeowner, only you can install one by one. So it's kind of slow, but it's good. It's good. But now we need to scale up the capacity. This is for residential market. Mm. If for commercial industrial market, NEM program is good. We have JITA, JIT incentive to support the NEM program. But NEM 3.0 with additional 300 megawatt is already finished in less than two years' time. And we want visibility and continuity in all this program. We can't always finish the quarter and then we wait for three, six months. And the industry players, all the contractors, all the developers 
has no visibility? Should I hire more people? Should I continue to find more projects? Or should I just stop here? So, of course, we have commitment from the ministry in the past that there will be new quota allocated every time. But how much, how, how, how much is the quota? How many megawatts and how is the mechanism? Oh, we kind of lack our visibility on that. Mm. We hope that in the future we have continuity, no no window time, that no quarter, and then we have visibility that okay, there will be one gigawatt for the next five years, five hundred megawatt for the next uh, three years. Mm. Uh, we want more our longer visibility, which is what we don't have until now. Okay, so the quotas are very start and stop. It's kind yeah. of like bit by bit, we bit by bit. We probably have one year visibility at the moment, yeah. which is not good for us. Dana, why is that, <laughs> if I could ask? I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I suppose I'm wondering why is the quota like that? Why can't there be a longer runway in terms of how much the quota is? What exactly is the government thinking when it allocates these types of quotas? Uh I think probably one of the key reasons for these quotas is just to stagger the, the deployment of intermittent energy sources to make sure that the grid can actually cope with what's coming in. It's it's not a rush, um, and we don't have the existing infrastructure to you know cater for air, times where demand slows down and things like that. But I I, I concur with what David says. I think um, rather than have a start stop process, which is what we have now, we could have a multi year uh, window but release it in perhaps stages. You know, when you get to zero, you automatically come. So there is that long-term visibility. Mm. But from what I understand, it's probably to manage the constraints that we have with with the existing grid, which is very much catered to watch large centralized power generation sources. And when you start moving towards distributed sources, there's a lot of technicalities that come into play because... We, as a country, I think we, we take the security of supply, the reliance of our supply a little bit for granted. But that stability is built on the fact that we have stable base load sources, right? which unfortunately comes from coal and natural gas, plus some hydro as well. So that stability that we take for granted may be affected when more intermittent sources come in. So I, I think that the reason why we're staggering the approach is just to make sure that we can manage that transition in, in an orderly manner. Mm. Another thing that I want to touch on in this conversation today, gentlemen, is really the uh, look into how we are going to export renewable energy, because that was one of the major announcements that was made by uh, the government last year. But I think to date, we still don't have any clarity on how that is going to play out. Davis, coming from the industry, what kind of policy announcements are you waiting for from the government in terms of how this is going to be rolled out? Yeah, this is a very interesting topic because everybody has been talking about it's a big chunk of projects uh, in the industry. And uh, we have been hearing about the proposal submissions to EMA in Singapore. That's how I always quote to the industry, like, um, we don't need to submit uh, because this is one-sided game from uh, Singapore authority that they want to know uh, what is the proposal. But Malaysia haven't come up with the framework. I think in the CBS program, it will be uh, more to a supply game of the industry. The demand is there. Singapore, of course, there are multi-sources and to different countries that they're working on. But Malaysia will be one of the most practical solutions for them to meet their immediate RE demand, which is the fastest and the easiest and the most cost-effective way. We're supposed to have the uh, negotiations power to work on the framework, how Malaysia want to supply to Singapore. Of course, it's going to be reasonable. and But the framework, I think Malaysia have more say on that. Okay, uh, Through aggregator model, through energy exchange, what 
is the range of the tariff, what kind of mechanism, and um, and to deal with EMA on that. And the bad part of it, what the positions we have now, we are not ready yet, but Singapore is ready. I see. <laughs> Have there been conversations with stakeholders on this or is this what you're waiting for the government to call for consultation? I think this is what has been going on for the past six six months and we have all these conversations that to open up the band of that electricity sales to Singapore to discuss about TPA framework, to discuss about willing charges, to establish energy exchange, to craft out single buyer, to manage energy exchange. I think this has been going on but the visibility it's not there yet. Uh, being one of the industry stakeholders, uh, we also don't have much information that how has been the willing charges going on, the mm. TPA framework going on, and, and of course the rest of the mechanism as well. Singapore is ready. So they are ready to look for a, a seller. What are their alternatives if Malaysia is lagging behind? Who is the competition in the region for this? It's not just Malaysia, but Peninsula Malaysia. Because Singapore already talking to Sarawak. Right. And um, I, I think that there have been some announcements on, on um, feasibility studies on undersea cables and things like which is something that Peninsula has been trying to do with Sarawak for a very long time. We just, uh, for various reasons, haven't been able to go through with it. Singapore is also talking to Australia, for example, for uh, importing solar mm. from the north of Australia. So they are looking for whoever is willing. Like As David said, the demand is there. It's we need to up our game to make sure that we are in that conversation as well. And when we say we, how much of this um, slowness or, or sluggishness is down to the fact that, um, well, I don't know. I'm not sure why we're sluggish, because technically our energy sector is dominated by, by a monopoly. So when you think about it, if it's just one of them handling it, shouldn't things go faster rather than having to coordinate between lots of different players? Right. So what do you think explains the, the slow response on our end? Uh, I would say uh, our energy commissions is taking really more attention than to getting the TPA framework out or working on willing charges. And uh, to be fair, it's, it's not a simple thing uh, because a lot of technicality that you need to go through, a lot of commercial mechanism you need to establish as well. Uh, I mean, to craft out single buyer from TMB is already not an easy project. I, I'm sure that a lot of complication are happening and they want to do that to have independent uh, a single buyer and then to manage that energy exchange and the TPA the technicality of the the party access um, how we gonna uh, establish the willing charges uh, energy commission need to examine all the elements in the make sense to to the utility player and also make sense to the industry as well so that's what I think all this check and balance that it needs to be done before they really roll out the policy and mechanism and uh, the commercial terms of it and I do agree with one of the uh, uh, command we have from uh, Energy Commission which they need to make sure this is really thoroughly being go through because they don't want to ro roll out a policy that they need to make a U-turn or anything. So it needs to be 100% correct. Yeah. I think it's, it's also recognising the fact that what we've had so far has worked very well. Right? The structure, the, the, the governance, the, the way the sector has been managed. Uh, and that's it, it, we can see that from the way that our system is reliable, uh, it's affordable, of course, mm. that comes down to subsidies. But what we've had so far has worked very well. So we're not just transitioning the sources of energy, we're also transitioning the way we manage 
uh, this new, I guess, the new mindset, the new approach to energy under under you know, the, the umbrella of sustainability and and, and clean uh, energy sources. So that's I, I agree completely with Davis. It's not something that's easy to do. Uh, we want to make sure that as we're moving from something which is stable and solid the end result is also something which is on par with what we had before and we don't want to lay down the tracks as the train is moving gentlemen let's uh, set a date to discuss this again maybe in six to eight months time and see what progress has been made thank you very much for joining me today thank, thank you. you i've been speaking to dana raj markandu of isis malaysia and davis chong of the malaysian photovoltaic association this has been the breakfast grill on bfm 89.9 the BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.